Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburrow and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. This week we're going to chat about Pentecost and how God is fulfilling some of the things he set in motion all the way back in Genesis. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. It's Richard here with Crooksy. Hey there. So we have, uh, for how many weeks now are we in Acts? This is Three, the fourth four? week, yeah. Four fourth. weeks in Acts, uh, which is really cool. Like, it's a book of the Bible that's hard not to get excited about. It's like watching the Avengers, but it's like, it's real life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like heroes, profound events, epic things. Yeah, so it's really exciting. Um, but there's... One thing, and Crooksy, you mentioned a part of this on Sunday, um, but in our teaching team meetings, we've kept noticing like there's so much more we could be saying because you can read Acts at one level and be like, oh, cool, like, you know, this cripple gets healed and, oh, Peter gives a really cool message and, wow, tongues and fire, you know, like the events are sort of, surprising and evocative and things like that just in themselves if mm. you had no context but the writer luke is definitely telling the story in a way he's trying to help a spot like hey guys when these things were happening like alarm bells were going off in people's heads where where they were primed because they were jews they knew their story they knew their heritage they knew their old testament to be like oh wow like this thing god's doing here it's new, but it's also old. And it's like a this there's so many little echoes of things God's done in the past that seem like they're coming to a head at the beginning of the book of Acts as God's being like I don't know, it's almost like Jesus goes to heaven, steps back, mic drop and is like, huh, look at that, nailed it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so um and that's actually that's a really fun encouraging awesome thing to spot about what god's doing that encourages us about just wow jesus like really is mic dropping nail like he has nailed it and so we want to try and draw some of those things out um chat about them and hopefully they'll come out in some sort of order that makes sense sure so should we start with Genesis? Because why wouldn't we? Feels like a pretty, pretty good place Always to start. Always a good place to start, right? Um, so, I don't know. We I feel like if we do a quick recap of Genesis, that's going to be like, that's all our time up. So what we should do is like point at a couple of the details that are going to be relevant of things that are happening. Because, I don't know, maybe maybe the big picture of biblical theology here that we are going to be drawing on is in Genesis, God shows us his purpose, his plan, like the blueprint. And we're like, okay, got it. And then it all goes sideways. Yeah. And then the rest of the story is about how God is going to be like, I'm going to get my blueprint built guys. Like I'm going to do it and it's good. And I don't know. Yeah, guess, and awareness of that helps us spot that God's doing that. Totally, because putting events in the context of God's big story help us to really get to, to grips with what's going on. And, and God's purpose for people was to have like a unique 
relationship between God and people. Like when I talk about this with the kids, I talk about the special thing that God and people had going on in the garden. And that thing was broken, but God already had a plan for how he was going to fix it. And so much of what happened in like the immediate aftermath of that, but, you know, throughout the course of history are like little details big details like little stones huge boulders that build up how god is going to fix that um that special relationship that he has um that he had enjoyed in the garden and that he wants um to be to be fixed and yeah. uh yeah so should we, like a couple of like i'll start details that stick out to me is this uh yeah and you mentioned it before we hit record about god's presence but it's kind of funny because it's the verse that crops up in a marriage ceremony and everyone giggles. Like the man and his wife are when naked and not shamed. <laughs> you know, like, haha, let's giggle like teenagers. But actually, it's kind of a profound thing. Like the relationships that Adam and Eve had with each other and with God in the garden is a picture of like total unguarded vulnerability, like total open access to each other. And yet, no shame. Yeah. So like total safety, like they could immerse themselves in these relationships without yeah, and I think that what you just said, anything like that. That's really important that like no shame, but also like no fear, not scared mm-hmm. that they could be completely open with God over who they were, like in his presence. Yeah. And enjoy, enjoy each other. So that's something that you're looking at as like God's ideal for like, this is the way God and people should relate. No fear, nothing to hide. It's good. Yeah. That doesn't last long. No, it doesn't last long because it will go sideways. There's some fruit. It shouldn't have got eaten. It got eaten. But like the the first effect of that is feeling vulnerable with each other and then hiding from from each other Mm -hmm. you know and that hiding takes a physical form and then it takes like the form of lies and like other things yeah and so it's it's just interesting the amazing beauty the literary design of genesis Mm -hmm. how it perfectly weaves these themes and contrasts them and yeah but but the interesting thing is we were designed for this quality of relationship. And I think we still feel its absence like more profoundly than anything else. Yeah. Right? As like if you canvas the human condition and look at social ills, individual ills, you know, things that we count as being problems, um, you know, there's a there's a reason that like love, not being alone, acceptance, like feeling safe, like these things float to the top. There's other things that sometimes float to the top, but they're means to those ends. Like, oh, you might want financial security or a job or, you know, things like that. But yeah, these things are close to the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And they get torn down and then do you know god already has a plan for how he's going to fix it and you're hoping that things are going to get better soon and they 
really, really, really don't. Yeah. <laughs> and they get worse. And then God thinks I'm going to have to start again. And But even in that, like God's presence shows up in unexpected ways. Exactly. So right, that's a surprise. Even Cain and Abel. Like the guy's a brother murdering jerk. And yet God meets him, meets him and warns him and yeah. tries to bring him back. And like Noah's generation is like, oh, like God must be tearing his hair out. You know, the wheels have fallen off the wagon. But God's like, uh, I'm going to still like use Noah as a preacher of righteousness to this generation. Yeah. Like God is trying to find a way into the mess to reach out to it. Mm-hmm. And and that's the interesting thing about the way that we miss God's presence or the way that is like part of our blueprint is we're designed to experience that. It's like a part of how life should be situated. And so that sort of drives this, I don't know. I mean, we don't really talk this way in the modern world, but if we imagine being the ancient world and like, oh yeah, like Yahweh, God of like the God who defeated the Egyptians, like you can go meet him. Like he lives in this tent in the middle of the desert with the Israelites. Like, yeah, I would go on a journey to see that. You know, like I would, we have this longing for that, mm. you know? Um, and of course there's twists and turns in that, you know, what that looks like as a bunch of people who've participated in being a jerk to God to go meet with him. But there's still this pattern of God like putting himself out there to be met with. Like to present himself to people, which is, and that's a pattern. Sometimes I feel like we don't tell the story very well of like the gospel. We tell a story that's like, yeah, because you are not perfect. God has to like totally ignore you and cut you off until you repent and turn and Jesus saves you. And then like God can present himself to you again. But actually the pattern of scripture is that God, he's like holy and justice is a thing. And like you go, breaking my creation and hurting people and like i'm gonna come talk to you about that but i'm gonna come talk to you Hmm. it's like that's also a part of it yeah sometimes it feels like god is a a bit of a glutton for punishment in that respect (laughs) that that is the best way to rephrase our god is a patient god (laughs) (laughs) it's like he must know what he's getting himself in for and when you think about you know like the noah episode as God's starting again, that's not really a good picture of that because he saves Noah and his family, so humanity continues. It's not It's not just a starting again. And surely he knows what humanity are like enough at that stage to be like, I am going to open myself up to the possibility of all of this going on again. And I've come yeah. to the conclusion that I think that that is worth it because I desire to be in relationship with these people so much that I am ready. I'm ready to give them another go, even if I know that that ends up with my own hurt again. So that puts some weight behind the weight of the rainbow, right? Do you know what I mean? Because we tend to think of the rainbow as God being like, I'll not be a mean God again. Yes. I'll actually, show you the rainbow cute. is a, I, I, okay, you guys are going to, there's going to be an immense amount of pain if I am more patient with you, but I promise I'll take that on. Yeah. It's massive. That's good. And of course, humanity reacted to that really 
like gratefully and continue to walk with the Lord their God forever. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. <laughs> so, yep, things went bad at the start. Things got worse. God kicked his plan to fix the special thing God and people had going into the garden and do another gear with Noah. And then things continued to get worse. And, and there is this weird tension separation between God and people because the relationship is not the way that it should be. God and people are experiencing tension and separation. But then people go and end up getting like weirded out and tense and separated from each other in the Tower of Babel episode. So let's talk about that in relation to Pentecost real quick. Yeah, because, I mean, it is a weird story. Mm. Like, a bunch of people in the desert learn how to make bricks. Sounds good. Yeah, this is effectively the first ever Lego kit. Fun. Like, and they're super excited, so what are they going to build? And it's interesting, like, they could build something to make their life more comfortable. They could build something, like, fun. You know, but what they do is they build a tower to reach to heaven. So this isn't just like building the shard in London or, you know, the motivations behind building something reaching to heaven. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, it's got overtones that we yep. might miss, right? So, it, so in the ancient world, they've got this view of the cosmos where like God's, the realm where like, perfection is situated and from which perfection flows is this realm that's above the the sphere that's above um and then we're on the 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 lower realm but these two can interact with each other Mm -hmm. and so like the garden was an overlapping of those two realms Mm -hmm. like where god actually gets to bring like to manifest the perfection of like thy will be done as it is in heaven in the earthly, tangible, created kingdom of this earth. And so they're trying to bridge that divide by their own power, on their own terms, you know, with their own authority, you know. And it's sort of an attempt to, like, accomplish the blueprint, but without God needing to be part of the picture. So it's like a ultimate expression of pride yeah. and rejection of God. Yeah, just let me cut you out of the mix for a minute. And yeah. God, God has been like, this sin is, is a reality now. It's part of the world. It's a part of people. But I I can fix this for you. And I don't know, maybe, maybe he was taking too long. So they're just going to take matters into their own hands and uh, it like, I don't know, like invade and be like, no, we'll, we'll get in the mix with heaven. That's a good word. They're like to, they're trying to invade heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just genuinely not how this works. So you've got people from like the whole earth with the same language and vocabulary. Like that cultural aspect brings them together, unifies them, and they decide they're going to invade heaven. So God knows that that's not an option. They don't know what they're getting themselves in for. They're going to get hurt. And um, as a protective measure, he's like, I'm going to make sure that they cannot do that again. So there's the birth of all of the languages of the nations and language, linguistic separation, 
leading to geographical separation, leading to cultural separation, leading to cultural alienation from each other. Like all of this is being like humanity divided. Yeah. First of all, separated from God through sin, even though God still reaches out, then separated from each other. And God is still reaching out. Yeah. But like the whole episode is tinged with savage irony. And actually irony shows up in the story of God so much because being united is like, yeah, Adam and Eve were this like one flesh, totally united thing in the garden. And at the end of the story, like I love the the image in Revelation of like all people, every nation, tribe, tongue, but unified again, Yeah, you know? So it's like, but we're designed for unity and yet unity gone wrong, really, really dangerous. Yeah. Like they use their power to do this, like their authority and creativity, like power, authority, like God empowers, like gives authority to rule to humans in the garden. And then like, God's restored version of humanity. Like you get it in um, like first Peter two and Exodus 19. This like, you know, you're a kingdom of priests. Like you do have authority. I expect you to go build bridges between heaven and earth. But the, the way of doing it, that's like absent God, you know, it, it just, it's like, Oh, you guys, you're so close but so far, right? Because actually they're being driven to do this by some things that are God-designed, but the way that they're trying to realize that design is like is destructive and is just ending in disaster. Hmm. And, that's, and that's just an interesting recurring theme yeah. through the scriptures, which, it, you know, I... Uh, Oh, it's just hard to step into the head of like a first century Jew and imagine how much did they read the Old Testament and think like, yeah, God's going to finally do it. And how much did they read it and be like, well, yeah, Babel didn't go so well. God tried to reach out with Noah, didn't go so well. God tried to reach out with Abraham, didn't go so well. Built the tabernacle, didn't go so well. Established a temple and a Davidic kingdom, didn't go so well. Yeah, it just like... I, you know, I wonder how, how much hope got crushed and they were just like, God's trying to do a thing. I don't think it's ever going to work. Yeah. Uh, it'd be really easy to feel that way. Yeah, totally. But for the promise of Messiah, which yeah. is the, the twist in the story, that all the way we're reading a story of God pulling people, like making himself present to draw people back, back to his blueprint. It's really hard to say back to blueprint without saying the word black um, <laughs> for some reason. Um, but it keeps failing. But actually the story is not one just a failure because like each time the failure rears its head, it's amazing how God weaves the prophetic voice in and out of the story as like almost like the voice of the narrator saying, yeah, but like the thing I'm trying here is, a sh- I don't know, a taste of the full reality of my accomplishment of this, which is going to involve another like holy divine King Messiah. Yeah, that's fun. Right. Who, who will, uh, who will do it differently, which 
I don't know, I feel like I just skipped a stone across a lot of story. Yeah, you did. I was just thinking <laughs> you've, you've planted some <laughs> seeds that maybe we'll come back to later. But if we just think about the Genesis stuff that we've talked about so far and how the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost events, like how, how do they interact with this? So how can we see God restoring the garden relationship and like redeeming these events through Pentecost, like it'd be fun to mm-hmm. camp out there. Yeah, yeah. For a second. So, what's the thing that strikes you, like where you see that garden image, that res- restored image reflected in what's going on? Because it's really easy to, I don't know, read chapter two of Acts and be like, "Man, we got fire, we got tongues. People think they're drunk. It, you know, it just looks like a whole heap of crazy going off." Yep. Like, is the penny really dropping? That actually there's a fulfillment of a divine pattern occurring here. I mean, it definitely seems that it doesn't quite drop until it's being explained to them. And once it's explained to them, then that changes everything. Yeah. And like looking at those events that um, on that day, we know that there are people there from like the whole earth like every every language represented, just like we saw in at the Tower of Babel. But then they're spoken to, not in a common language, but they're spoken to in their own language and, and given provision by the Holy Spirit to do that so that they could hear how to accomplish the thing that they were trying to accomplish in Genesis 11 when they built a tower. They can come to the God who created them, have that relationship with him because of what Jesus did. So we're seeing instead of like language, like separating people, we can see them coming together in this and we can see a meeting with God, the presence of God there with them, but it's done, it's done in a way that, um, probably achieves the goals that the people who built the Tower of Babel had, but in a way that doesn't cut God out of the mix. In fact, he's the active player in it. And so it's like really honoring, like God is honoring people by bringing them in again, giving them a place of honor to say, I want to be with you. Here's how you can do that. And 3000 people are like, yes, please. I would like, I would like to do that. But it's interesting because it's not a direct undoing of Babel. Because maybe the undoing we would be like, oh, one of them got up and spoke in Assyrian and everyone understood. Yes. Correct. Like, Whoa. So and actually there's a there's like a, a unity, like a God created unity with God like God's glorifying himself at the center of it. Which is interesting because that's what we see in Revelation as well. Yes, yes. So, yes. so it's almost like He's- the risk in Babel was a, a natural human unification yeah. whereas this is like a supernatural human unification done by god yeah and, and you actually don't need to get rid of the diversity to achieve that and, and it's almost like a more beautiful variegated dive i don't know saying it's a diverse unity is an oxymoron but yeah, i think we know what we mean it's like yeah there's something more to this than there was at Babel. Absolutely. And it's to, a greater thing. To read Babel and be like, God punished us with lang- different languages is 
not what he's doing. God is protecting us yeah. with languages. languages. Like people speaking in different languages is not a bad idea. It's something God gave us to to protect. And then if he wanted to undo that, he could have. Yeah. But instead, he redeems it. Instead of it being something that is there like as a protective measure to keep you to keep you guys like safe from yourselves for a minute, then whenever he's with his people and they see what's going on, it's explained to them, they kinda get it and they're coming together and that diversity can be celebrated. Like the mosaic is like showing a picture and God's not interested in homogeny. But um here we here we have like university or university, nope. Diversity not undone, but redeemed and yeah. celebrated. Yeah, that's and a good it, way it's of saying fun. It. Not undoing Babel, redeeming Babel. Like not undoing people, redeeming people. Like this is what God's about as he restores the special thing that he has going on with people in the garden. Like he doesn't want to undo us. He wants to redeem us, which very thankful for yeah. <laughs> very yeah. thankful for indeed and there's a whole whack of theology that could come out of this point but oh boy <laughs> i, I want to like another favorite thing is directly before we get the language thing that makes us sit up and pay attention for those who are in that room there's like little tongues of fire on top of each of them so that's also like a really interesting garden image, which we, yeah. we might not maybe immediately clock. But mm. again, like the garden is this like heaven, earth overlapping place, like God being present in this vulnerable, accessible way. Um, but actually the tabernacle and the temple was another heaven meets earth zone, which is why the temple is built with like all of this garden imagery uh, built into it it's like a lot of pomegranates yeah it's it's supposed <laughs> to it's using the art language of the garden to tell you hey this is a garden-like environment and then like god's you know total will being done as in heaven throne is then present there and and how do you know there's someone on the throne where well, it's that like pillar of cloud uh, sorry mm. pillar of cloud or pillar of fire mm. and then like god i mean uh appearing to Moses like a tongue of fire in a bush. Yep. You know, like the so God keeps showing up this way. And as especially for these dudes, because the dudes in the room at this point, um, they're all Jews. So they've got really used to this idea of like, um, yeah, there's one place on earth you can go to meet with God. And that awesome. You know, yeah. like if there was some way you could go, like take a pilgrimage, go see the pillar of fire, go almost like see God face to face type thing, you know. Um, yeah, like that's really exciting. Totally up for that. Really exciting. But it's always been like limited access, yes. uh, like loads of things that can inhibit and get in the way of it. Not just geography, but you've got the dirty great curtain, you know, yeah. you've got to do all the sin offerings. There's loads of stuff that make the presence of God a threat. You know, which is like, oh, close to the garden, like God's presence, but it's not the vulnerable safe space. It's the threatened, wow, I'd better run out of here space. Yeah. And so, so like a pillar of fire, it evokes that sort of imagery. 
And so there's like a couple of things going on. Like, so there's a pillar of fire on each of them. So like it's God's temple reality, like a heaven meets earth reality is breaking out in this room. And it's not like, oh, I guess the corner of the room is now like where heaven meets earth. Or like, oh, on this table, in this fruit bowl, like that's the place. Like, no, everyone's looking around. Like, can you imagine seeing the first tongue and be like, what? Oh, it's Joe. Joe, like God's going to like present. Oh, no, wait, it's Sam. Oh, no, it's Laura as well. Yeah. It's like, and then you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, oh it's me, me too. It's me too. No like, way. It's all of us. And so, you know, this amazing like heaven meets earth thing of God presenting himself is breaking out. And it's all of them. Like they're all it. Like God's doing it in every single one of them. Like they're that space now. But like they're not afraid. Hmm. They don't go running. They don't go hiding. They just are enjoying and worshiping God. Like that's what they do. They spill out into the speech and are just like declaring how good God is. Yeah. And and so that's another undoing of like, you know, it, it's like it's it's greater, it's bigger, it's better, it's more accessible than the old temple presence. But also it's like a safe presence, you know, like they, they're not having to like the tongues of fire come and they're like, oh man, like we better kill some goats real quick. You know, like <laughs> we better do something. Because like God's here and, and like he's we're about to all die. Yeah. Like they're not having to put blood across the lintel on the door. Like they're not having to do anything because Jesus has helped them be and helped them understand you're safe. I've made you safe. Yeah, because right? even when we think about the Jewish people as being like God's like chosen people and his like vehicle of moving his uh, his story forward. Like they are constantly under threat, not just from themselves or from other people, but there is like there is a threat from God. And like you mentioned, the the blood on on the door during the first Passover, and I, I like that they. I, mean, I I appreciate that they take God seriously enough to know. He's not messing around, and he like he is like incredibly beyond what what they are, and like he's so perfect that, and because they're not so perfect, <laughs> like it ends up like being a a threat to them, and we have this perspective, I guess, of like when we're in God's presence, and like if um you know if if you've had that experience of like. Um, spending time like on your own with God and being like, um, like aware, you know, in in your senses, aware that He's with you, or like in a time of worship, or however you've experienced that. Perhaps like the security and like the comfort. I know for for me that's something that, like, I feel like comfort and energized. But for a lot of the Jewish people's experience, they they see God's presence and they think and they know that they have to be on their guard and like if we think about uh, events later in the Exodus when they get to Mount Sinai and God comes down it's the first time that um, he has appeared so dramatically to the extent that dudes who are used to following a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire see 
the extent of the fire and this, the cloud and the smoke on the mountain and they're terrified and Moses is like God says don't touch that and yeah. they're like yo we or even we, like the afterglow of its effect on Moses and they're like dude stick a paper bag on your head yeah, like that's happening? scary it's scary so they see God and they think he is so much that it's not safe for us and they there's the safety and the security aspect that might be f- more familiar to us that they miss out on yeah so when we look at all of that Exodus stuff and the Sinai stuff and we see God appearing to that uh, degree or in that way to the point where it's scary, you can't go be near that at all. And even if one of your livestock touches the mountain, it has to die. Yeah, That's the message. And we think... We think, come as you are. God will accept me, come as you are. And our reality and their reality was so much different. So when you've got that Jewish mindset of like, God is holy, I need the high priest to go behind that curtain once a year and do that day of atonement thing or else we're all, we're all toast up in here. They, they have a reality where that's, that's a big part of how they relate to God. Yeah. And then when you see like Pentecost and it's wind and it's fire and it's pillars of cloud and, or sorry, pillars of fire, like many ones, but like still ones. And it's like very Exodus-y, very Sinai, but nobody is getting burned up. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, this is different. Yeah. This is special. This is sweet. Something good's going on here. And that's like that's with some of the Joel stuff in that act too, right? Because mm-hmm. it is surprising. It's like this feels, you know, uh like an unparalleled rea- like reality. Like, uh, it's not supposed to be like this. I don't understand. It does not compute. But then like what Peter pulls out of Joel is an interesting sandwich of like, I'll pour out my spirit and all flesh. And we're like, yeah, yeah, you will. Cool. Like pour out the spirit. That sounds good. And then at the end, like everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Like, yeah, accessible. Like God's salvation is accessible. And then like in the middle, you've got like blood and fire and pillars of, yes, pillars which of smoke Sunday, and I darkness. Kinda, and the <laughs> kind of skipped like, over that. What's that doing in the middle? <laughs> Yeah, I kind of skipped over that on Sunday a little bit. So, yeah, we, I don't know, we hear the things that we want to hear, I guess, sometimes. And we're like reading this with a, like a new covenant awareness and being like, oh, good. Because this this almost sounds like Peter's got biblical Tourette's. Like he's given the good news to people and then like throwing that in the middle as well. But it, But it is, it's helping the listeners realize that... The like the holiness of God that means brokenness need and sin need to be called the problem and the pain bringer to relationship that they are does not prohibit this space of like God reaching out presenting Himself to be encountered. Yeah. So something has changed. Something has cl- evidently changed between the events of the Exodus and the Sinai episode and Pentecost. 
because what would once destroy now empowers and brings people together and saves. So something has changed. And like that's that's what Peter explains to the crowd. It's really interesting that we are so like Pentecost, that's Holy Spirit Day. And Peter gives very little airtime to the Holy Spirit in his sermon. He's explaining what's happening with the Holy Spirit for sure. So the sermon concerns the Holy Spirit for real. But he's explaining it in the context of Jesus' ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And like his sermon is about Jesus. So the thing that has shifted that has turned what once would destroy to something that empowers is what Jesus has done for the people and the spiritual reality has shifted and victory has been won and when Jesus died he defeated and when he rose again he proved it and the special thing that people had going on in the garden with the spiritual reality of that is that it was fixed and the the curtain in the temple got torn and separation is gone and Peter's like you want some proof of that look around at what is happening and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is here with these people and the promises for you too that thing that we were once so terrified of Mm. is now it's good for us and now it's here for you and the promises for you your children and those who are far off anyone the Lord will call to save and you're just like woof this is un believably good and it is but almost like i'm gonna sound like i'm contradicting what you're saying but it's it's subtle like this offer there is um there is a difference to this opportunity but also peter's helping them to see that this is the same opportunity that god's kept doing it's what he did with cain it's what he did with noah it's like it's what he did with Abraham, what he did with Israel. Um, and, you know, it gets to this, like, you know, they're cut to the heart. And he says to them, you know, like, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Mm. Like, how do we respond? And, you know, if I just turn around to anyone and say, man, this is a crooked generation, get out. Like, that's probably going to make sense in every language and every culture. If you translate, <laughs> that's a fairly yeah. universal sort of phrase. Like we look around, and we're like, "Yeah, it's pants. Like this is not good." But actually, it's a it's a hyperlink back to the end of Deuteronomy, mm. where Moses is doing his like final words with the children of Israel, and he, you know, it's almost like, yeah, God's done this thing where He's chosen a nation and said, "Look, I." I'm going to create a place on earth to entemple myself where heaven and earth meet. And I'm going to build a nation around it. You Israelites, like I've chosen you to be part of it. And Moses is sort of basically telling them that story, but in a in an Old Testament way. So slightly different, but that story. And saying to the Israelites, like my dudes, like God's, he's like, this is what he's creating. This is what he's doing. He's given you his law. Like you, and, and this is all in the context of like God doing this to reach the crooked nations that are around. Uh, and, and Moses is like, which story do you want to be a part of? Like, do you want to be a part of the crooked story? Like, you know, do you want to be Cain or Abel? Do you want to be like on the ark or in the flood? 
do you you know where, where do you want to be and it's this sort of you know crossroads moment because as as excited as they would be to see that god is doing this sort of thing in the world it lands squarely on like but are you gonna live the bru- the blueprint or are you gonna live like the broken version of it yeah still and that's where i love because it, it, again it pulls genesis into focus for me because this crooked generation thing um as it like one of my favorite verses is uh in philippians and i think it's philippians 2 let's have a quick look up yeah philippians 2 15 um and actually there's a lot of philippians like there's a bit of philippians uh one as well like talks about these people being signs um but philippians 2 15 is that like nice image uh that you know if you i mean he gives a long list but if you do these things you will shine like stars in the world in the midst of a crooked generation it's a little paraphrase there but trying to say it in a way that joins up with the thing in Acts and joins up with the thing in Deuteronomy. So you've got that crooked generation thing. Like you're, what God's doing is different to the Noah thing. He's not trying to take people out of the crooked and do a restart. He's, actually, he's trying to uncrooked people in the midst of crookedness to reach that crookedness. This is much more like a later nation of Israel, like the function of the temple thing. But then, like, to shine like stars, like, that goes all the way back to Genesis 1, when God's, like, establishing the heavens and the earth, and he's, like, he creates light, and he creates dark, and then he's, like, yeah, but the light and the dark need ruling. So I'm going to create the sun, moon, and the stars to actually be a sign of my power, my goodness, my plans. Like, that, like this is now going to keep going according to my blueprint, because of these things I establish. So it's this um, sort of giving of authority to go make God's reality happen that the the stars shining are a sign of, a symbol of. And then humanity gets pulled into that, but like in a more boots on the ground way. Hmm. Um, But then that same Genesis image is used, you know, so you've got this temple presence, um, but then that temple presence, that fire is shining. I don't know, just all the, all the imagery of this stuff kind of comes together to paint a really profound interconnected picture um, that what God is doing in these, in these humans that he's pouring out his spirit on is it's doing the thing he started like however many millennia ago like all this time ago right that looked like it was just lost you know it looks like it was done and dusted and I, I i just love the amount of like little hints back yeah. to this genesis thing it just it's like uh the biblical authors are crying out to try and help help us see like it wasn't lost like it got it got broken but god is going to restore it yeah, reaching out to people at every turn so that they can come back to him. And I, I guess like that big Peter's message to repent is like re- return to the Lord and he'll forgive you. He's gracious and compassionate. And when you return to him, then 
you're going to want to do the blueprint thing and not the broken thing. Mm -hmm. I think like that's pretty much what Paul is saying in Philippians 15. That's like, come and do this blueprint thing so that you're blameless and pure. And when you do, people are going to notice that and people are going to be like, hey, there is something so different about them. And when the Holy Spirit comes on people, I mean, something that we could probably bring out in like every message on this Acts series um, is that when the Holy Spirit comes on people, they are empowered and emboldened to speak the truth of Jesus Christ with power and live that truth through their actions. And chapter two is like a pretty good encapsulation of that where mm-hmm. like Peter does the thing and tells everybody the good news of Jesus. And then like when you get down to the bottom, which is what Brian is going to be talking about on, on Sunday, we're hearing all the stuff that they do that like proves that this Holy Spirit transformation in their lives is, is real. And, um, there's so we get to the practical how. Get to the practical how, and then, um, do you know, you hear about how like they're devoted to them, do you know, devoted to themselves, to meeting together, breaking bread together, the other food, humble and joyful attitudes, praising God, and then it's and having favor with all the people. They they are shining like stars, and people like respect them, yeah, and love them, and like have favor for them, and they the Lord's adding to them every day, the people who are being saved because they have accepted the truth of Jesus and are living in line with that. They've come back to the blueprint thing and there is something so like lovable about that and there's something so attractive and magnetic about that that people are like, now I see, like now I get what this is supposed to be like and I want to do, yeah. I want to do that too. And that, in a way, is like the trajectory of the Book of Acts is like this restored, beautiful, endearing, attractive thing, which, sure, was like, wow, look at this tabernacle, look at this temple. Like, we've had bits of it. Yes. Is now multipliable, and it spreads. Yeah. And it goes abroad. It's fun. Yeah. And that and that's a part of what's different about this reality that mm. always tweaks us, because there's a little bit of us that, you know, just relationally in our you know like emotional and spiritual adolescence is like oh jesus why did you have to go <laughs> like if you just hear things are it'd be so much better but yeah that's part of the reality of jesus coming is mm-hmm. to accomplish this yes well we're out of time we didn't even talk about david there's a whole david echo yeah like the the kingdom thing the the king the fulfillment of that but that's a whole we get into that as another half an hour so we're not going to so there we go go i don't know there's got to be a bible project video on david yeah and they've, they've covered the everything there's got, to be, there's got to be something you can watch on that <laughs> yeah so there you go lots of nerd out stuff um basically what it comes down to is we at church we're excited about acts because it focuses us poignantly on the reality of who we are if we say we're God's people. Hmm. And like, this this is it. Like, what God's doing here didn't go away by chapter 8. It's still not gone away. And as much as the world, the flesh, and the devil try to 
<laughs> con us into feeling like, oh, that was that was something else for someone else somewhere else at a different time. Actually, no, it ain't. And so, yeah, we should allow ourselves to get excited about these things. If we're feeling a bit crooked generationally, we should realize that Moses, Peter, and all the rest of the people along the way, you know, call out to us, like, you can save yourself from that crooked generation. Like, that's a possibility now. And, uh, and that, you know, we can count ourselves among the people who get to be upper roomed. Like, if you're feeling far from God, if you're not feeling, you know, very blueprinty, the things that accomplish that are for you as well. Like, there's a tongue of fire for you. Yeah. Right? And yeah. because of the imagery of the time, like, God showing up in your life probably isn't going to be a physical, like, actually seeing a tongue of fire over your head because that doesn't mean the same thing to us. It's going to look different. But the reality it speaks to, that's still around. It's still a thing. God didn't stop doing it. And we're going to see it as we keep going through Acts. So we're going to get this like constant, constant encouragement here for months, which I hope you're not going to get tired of um, <laughs> because we we need that constant encouragement. Yeah. Like, like there's so much in the world trying to quench, I don't know, a sort of, I'm not even sure if it's childlike, but just like a pure zeal and excitement for just how profound this reality change is. Um, yeah, so totally. Um, one, one thing, I think that as we move forward in the Acts series, I just would encourage you to like keep that mindset of like these people are ordinary people who are empowered and knowing that that's an offer for you. Mm -hmm. I think if we treat them like they're superheroes because there's a bunch of cool stuff going on, then that seems like really inaccessible to us. Definitely. But they are normal people. And the thing that I do to keep myself in that right frame of mind is um, I, I, uh, I read the Bible cover to cover every year and I do it like a book club. So I meet up with um, a few people and we've read one of the books of the Bible and we talk about like three things, come prepared to talk about three things that um, the Spirit spoke to you through that. And there was one time when we were living in Glasgow and I was in a group with this dude, Paul, who was like a pretty new follower of Jesus. And this dude, Mike, who was really interested in Jesus, but uh, wasn't a Christian, didn't follow Jesus yet. And he read through the Gospels with us and he was really into it. He, re he thought Jesus was like really magnetic and then he got to act and I was really excited for him. He's about to read it he's like, oh, he'll get to see that all that Jesus stuff is then like they are commissioned to do that. Yeah. People are commissioned to do that. That'll be really exciting for him, for him to know that this is accessible to him. I just came in and he sat down and we hadn't even started yet and he was just like, those guys are the worst. They're a photocopy. Like they're a Xerox copy of Jesus. They're yeah. lame. They're so lame. And I was just like, what? You're calling the apostles lame. <laughs> and I would got so I got so defensive and was like, mate, they're like healing people. They're, you know, and he was like, nah, like they're, they're nowhere near as good as Jesus. And yeah. then I kind of diffused everything. You're like, well, you've got to say he's right. They're nowhere near as good as Jesus. I don't think they're a Xerox copy. I think if you got Peter and Paul and the lads and said, you're like you're a you're a photocopy you're a xerox of jesus they'd be like 
Thanks, I'm, mate. I'm pretty good with that. <laughs> I'm pretty good with that. Yeah. But um, when I read Axe, I think these guys are photocopy, and that's what that's what Mike thought. He thought they were a, th- a photocopy. He thought that was kind of lame, and now I'm like, wait, they're a photocopy. They're not. They're not Jesus. They're just normal people. But to, for a normal person, even to get as close to representing like the image of God, that you can look at a you can look at a Xerox copy of something and say that's what that image is, and you can look at these apostles and say they're not you know they're not anywhere close to Jesus, but I know exactly what they represent. Yeah, that's pretty tight for a normal person to do yeah so, but uh, sometimes we have like our superhero glasses on when we read yeah, the stories and time. we idealize people right big time like a good uh, like uh if you want a practical like how can i what can i do to help push that reality in my head like look up all the things paul asked people to pray for him because he's like man i need energy i need support I need encouragement. I need the opportunities. I need courage. I need basically like all the human normal stuff. Mm-hmm. But then you look at Jesus, like needed the disciples' support, encouragement, needed to pray, needed to process, needed like... Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. Sometimes looking at what... what, Yeah. It, it's a, but it's a little more obvious with Paul because then you can Google pray for... And then just look at the verses that pop up and scan through them. So that's yep. a, there's a hot tip for you. Fun times. All right. Well, I hope you're excited and we'll catch you next time. Bye. God bless. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College based at Westside at Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.